Welcome to Teaching Channel Talks. I'm your host, Wendy Amato, and as often as I can, I jump into conversations that matter in education. And in this episode, I get to celebrate Dr. Tish Jennings of the University of Virginia. She's working to help reduce teacher stress. Dr. Jennings, welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here with you, Wendy. You are the principal investigator of Project Catalyze, and you have a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. Tell me about that. Well, um, Catalyze is a very interesting project that got somewhat disrupted by, well, a lot disrupted by COVID. Um, the idea that we were exploring was when teachers uh, receive the kinds of programming that we've developed to help them manage their stress and be more present and responsive to their students, um, basically building their own social emotional competence, does that help them teach social emotional learning to their students. We assumed that it would. So what we did was we recruited 40 elementary schools in Chicago that, and they all got the PATHS curriculum, which is a well-tested social emotional learning program. Half of the schools got randomly assigned to also receive the CARE program, this mindfulness-based social emotional program for adults. And what we had hoped would be to see that those uh, classrooms, teachers and students in the CARE plus PATHS group would do better than the PATHS only group. Um, the, the study got quite disrupted, so we weren't able to collect data from very many students because we couldn't get the permission back from the parents. Um, all the training that we provided, we had to do on Zoom, um, which was not the way it was intended. Uh, and we also couldn't really monitor whether the teachers were really participating because a lot of them would turn their cameras off. Anyway, the good news is um, we did show impacts, observable differences in their classroom interactions, the, the care plus paths classrooms. Um, and we didn't show the same kinds of impacts on the teachers that we had in previous research, but it's likely because COVID was putting added demands on their work that the program wasn't really intended to help them with. That would change so, the baseline. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Dr. Jennings, you led the team that developed CARE. It's the largest randomized and controlled trial of mindfulness-based intervention. Can you tell me what's included in that program? Sure, um, CARE stands for Cultivating Awareness and Resilience in Education. And the study you're referring to is a, another study we did in New York City with 224 teachers. Um, the CARE program combines mindful awareness practices and emotion skills programming to help teachers recognize when they're feeling stress, like noticing what it feels like in your body, um, and then being proactive and learning strategies for calming yourself down in the context when this is happening. So what I've found from my own experience as a teacher and a teacher educator is that when we're teaching, our attention is very outwardly directed because it's so demanding. The classroom is an incredibly emotionally and cognitively demanding context. You have to see what's going on around you and what you have to keep tabs on everybody. You have to monitor interactions among students and with students and you have to maintain awareness of the content you're supposed to be promoting in this context. So That's a lot of layers. <laughs> a lot of layers. And so what I found, uh, I spent about 15 years supervising student teachers in classrooms by observing them and coaching them. At the same time, I was teaching them classroom management. 
And so I had hoped to see them implementing strategies that I knew were very helpful in the classroom. But instead, I started noticing overreactivity, uh, teachers taking behaviors personally, overreacting to student normal student behaviors. And I started wondering what's going on here because what I saw was when we do that as educators, we actually disrupt our own classrooms um, because our students get defensive, they, their, their stress level starts to rise. And then if, if everyone in the classroom is feeling stressed out, nobody's learning and it's hard to teach. And so I, and at the time I was trying to coach these uh, teacher candidates, um, but I didn't know how. And so that was what motivated me to go back and get my doctorate. And I studied stress and human development and adult development to understand how to help them. And that's what informed the work that I did when I developed care, because I realized we need to notice the internal processes that are going on in that moment. We need to notice, like for me, when I feel stressed, my shoulders get real tense, my jaw gets tense. And when that happens, I start noticing that my mind goes into a certain rumination. Like, oh no, he's gonna, they're disrupting my class again. Oh no, I'm not gonna finish my lesson. Oh no, you know, like sort of um, catastrophizing. Oh yeah, the dominoes start tipping. Yeah, and that just reinforces this stress. And so that's what leads, what I found leads to overreacting and also taking things personally. Like the, the students are doing this intentionally, right? And then when I do that and I respond in that way, my students may respond by becoming defensive um, or just shut down because they get frightened of the, of the teacher, right? And so that doesn't help promote learning. So what we find is that the care program is tailored to individual teachers because they have to decide, they have to understand what are those things that trigger their stress in the classroom? Because everybody's different. Like certain things are gonna bug you that might not bug me or vice versa. And so I, I start to learn what those are and then I can be uh, proactive. Uh, and then what we found, which is really exciting is when we are present and calm and responsive and we don't think, take things personally, um, our classroom does so much better. And so teaching is so much more enjoyable um, and learning happens. So it has a positive reinforcing loop as well. It can be a negative reinforcing loop or a positive reinforcing loop. And so when we make that shift, then we see these differences in the classroom, which, which I said, then you observe the classroom is more emotionally positive. The students are more engaged um, and they're learning. But despite the challenges that COVID presented in, in your research with Project Catalyze, you found some really positive uh, ways to address teacher stress or occupational stress. Can you share some of that? Yeah. Um, so first of all, we help them learn some basic mindfulness practices, like learning how to calm down and pay attention to your breath and follow your breath. Yeah. So that you just start to notice what does your breath feel like when you're breathing um, and bringing that ability to, it's, I guess it's a kind of introspection, but it's very somatic. It's very starting to notice how you're feeling. Then the next thing we do is we, well, we do a lot of different things. We help them understand the nature of stress and the nature of emotions and how they affect our thinking and the, and the way we perceive things. 
And then this, then we also start begin the practice of listening mindfully, like hearing another person and just be a receiver for that person. And when you do that, the the dyadic interaction becomes really powerful and deep. Then what we do is we ask um, educators to write down a situation that they recently had that they found stressful in their classroom. Um, and then to when they do this listening practice, they tell them what happened. They tell them this story. And as they're doing it, they notice, how do I feel when I tell this story? What's going on inside of me? What, how did I feel? How did I think about that situation? And so then they start to learn, oh, okay, this is what they're talking about. This is how my emotions can interfere with my teaching. And this is how I can build the strategies and the skills I need to bring myself to the classroom fully and not allow my emotional reactivity to interfere. That's Those powerful. Are examples. Yeah. And there's a lot more to it because it's a, so, so the other thing that, that it, when we tested it, it was a five day training, which is pretty intensive. We did two full days at the very beginning of the school year, two more days spread out over the fall and then another day in the spring. And so it was a pretty big, program. We've learned over time, this was, we developed the program in 2007. So it's been a while. We tested it in 2000, I think it was 2014, 15, sometime around then in New York in this big study. Um, but what we found over time is that that's just not a, a very scalable model. It, you know, it's too much PD time. And so the people who are now licensing this program care, um, it's an organization called Create for Education. They've been delivering a shorter version, a three-day version, but this version has never been tested. So we just got a big $8 million grant from the Department of Education. Congratulations. To, thank you. To test a scaling model, um, a way to scale this so it's more feasible to, for, to you know, get out there brought more for more teachers. So it's a three-day version where they get two full days and then one booster and so we're gonna test that model in um, schools here in Charlottesville and Albemarle County in Roanoke in Northampton and in uh, Jefferson County, Kentucky, which is where Louisville is. So um, we're gonna do a big study of the shorter version. And we're also um, in the original model, we did a coaching by phone. Uh, we had three coaching sessions to help them understand how to apply what they're learning to their classroom and build a practice so they could be, it could be sustainable for them. Um, and we're working on trying to find an app or create an app that will help do this for them. So that'll, that'll also make it more scalable because phone calling everybody was really hard. Um, so this is very exciting too. I'm happy to hear the structure for this work because we know best practices in education talk about spaced retrieval and we need these contact points, these touch points in order to have a lasting impact or meaningful impact. So the structure sounds really good. I'm looking forward to hearing the results on that one. I'm very excited that there's been some funding put towards this important work. Me too. I am very excited. It feels like, you know, I thought about all this back in the early 2000s and now it's definitely on everybody's radar. You know, it's obviously because we're losing teachers. You know, teacher attrition is a big problem. 
you do have a record of this work. You're a book author, Flourish. You also have peer-reviewed journal articles, chapters, other books. Tell me about some of the messaging you're trying to get out to the education community. Well, the first book I wrote is Mindfulness for Teachers. And I did that basically because I knew that care was gonna be hard to scale. And I wanted to get the information that's in care out as broadly as possible. So mindfulness for teachers is uh, like a companion for care that anybody can buy and it's not very expensive. And it has a lot of this content I was just describing in it. Um, then the second book I wrote uh, was about the trauma sensitive classroom because I could see the implications for children and youth that are exposed to trauma and adversity in terms of the teacher's own emotional reactivity. Um, because if you're a student that has been, is living in a lot of uh, violence and aggression at home and your teacher loses their temper, it's mm -hmm. gonna have a different, um, react. it's gonna have a different effect than it will have on, you know, an an ordinary child who's doing fine, who doesn't have these kinds of um, exposures. Then the third one I wrote is um, mindfulness in the pre-K five classroom. And I wrote that be to, to document some of the things that I used to do as an educator. Uh, I used to, I was doing mindfulness stuff in education back in the eighties. And when I started realizing how popular it was getting, I was saying, wow, I've, I've got a lot of little tricks that I can share um, in this book. So that's a, a nice little small book. And then the last one I wrote is um, the uh, teacher turnout, uh, teacher burnout turnaround. Uh, and I got invited to write a book about teacher burnout. And then as I was writing it, I realized this is gonna be a depressing book. <laughs> and so I, I turned it around basically and focused on um, making empowering educators to find ways to turn around burnout from the ground up. Um, and we know there are a lot of problems in our systems today and a lot of them are causing burnout. And I thought if teachers became more aware of what those are, they might be able to take some you know, proactive steps to make some changes from the ground up. And now you know, educators have a lot more um, uh, leverage because of the teacher shortage. And, and it is time that we can start saying, hey, the system really needs to change and, and maybe talk a little bit about how it might change. Dr. Jennings, you and I agree that some structural changes need to take place beyond what the individual teacher can do in the classroom. What advice might you offer to school leaders who are working to improve the teaching environment in their schools and programs? Well, it's really interesting because I think we've gotten ourselves in a... Um, a vicious cycle that isn't really working mm -hmm. um, because as we see uh, you know test scores not doing as well as we'd hope behavior student behavior not going as well as we would hope the tendency in our culture is to become more punitive or become more controlling what I've noticed is this is a cultural tendency that we all have in the United States is when things aren't going well we get coercive and punitive and what, what I'm seeing is that it actually makes things worse when we do that. You know, I think it's gonna take some time to rethink how we do this, but I think the social emotional learning field has a really good first step, which is to build a supportive community of learners, which means 
all the adults in the environment need to feel like they belong, that they have value, that they are making contributions to the bigger, uh, the greater good that the school is trying to contribute, that they are valuable members of this community, rather than um, sort of see them as operators or functionals or, um, you know, deliverers. They are actually people who have incredible value that um, can help principals solve these problems rather than trying to dictate to them some solution that the principal has come up with without engaging in the people that are actually going to have to do this. So I think the first thing to do is have meetings with educators and help them start building a sense that they are valued and that they have something to contribute and hear what they have to say and listen to them. Um, because I think the lack of autonomy for the adult in the schools and the students in the school um, is really important. And what I see is sometimes um, people try to jump over the educator and move to the student by doing project-based learning and things like that, which are great. But if you don't give the teacher the same kind of autonomy, how can you expect them to successfully do something like project-based learning? You know, if they don't have the autonomy to decide when and how they might do that, um, and in, you know, and how to make that work, um, just by telling them we want you to do this is not going to work. That'd be a real disconnect. Yes. <laughs> What advice should we leave people with? Any call to action? Is there a place to gather more knowledge about this? Well, I think what you all offer is incredibly valuable. I have um, appreciated your work for a long time because you have a, a very big reach. Thank and, you. <laughs> and I think the more of us who are working in this area, I'm seeing it growing. Uh, there's a, a real big movement happening right now. So I would just say to everybody, jump on board. You know, let's all work together. I think, mm -hmm. imagine this, imagine if all the teachers, all the people working in education, all the parents of all the children who are at school today, if we got our voices together and said, hey, government, <laughs> hey, you know, school districts, hey, school boards, we need to change this now. You know, our children are growing up in the 21st century, and these schools were built, you know, two centuries ago. Uh, and, you know, they were archaic when we were kids. Now it's time. Now it's really time for us to do this together. And I, I, I have total faith that we can do this. I'm grateful to be able to put my voice together with yours. Thank you, Dr. Jennings. Me too. Thank you, Wendy. To our fellow educators, thank you. Thank each of you for joining the conversation. If you'd like to explore topics that Dr. Jennings and I discussed today, please check out the show notes at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe on whatever listening app you use that will help others to find us. I'll see you again soon for another episode. Thanks for listening. 